0: But today, if you have your Bibles with you, or your Bible app, and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to see the angel appear to Joseph and talk about how do we overcome our fear of what people think about us, okay? So let me get a little participation. How many of you would say... (laughs) that you often care a lot about what other people think about you. <laughs> all right, now leave them up for a second and look at all the people with their hands down and say to them, your hand's not up because you care too much about what other people think about you. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. Um, so, But the reality is that at one level or another, most of us are very concerned. Do you like the car that I drive? Do you, do you like my hair? Do you like the clothes that I wear? Do you like, do you, like, um, do you think I'm funny? Do I fit in? You know, do you like my Instagram selfie? <laughs> I, you know, I hold it up here and I only have two chins. If I hold it down here, it's a little different story. But do, do you like this filter? Do you like my duck lips? You know, and, and, and so we become so easily obsessed with what other people think about us. And in, in this week's story, we're going to watch Joseph battle with the opinions of people. And when he was, when, when, when he was to decide between what, doing what was easy and what is right, between what people would want him to do, and between what God wanted him to do. Now, let me give you a little context, and then we'll jump in. We'll stand up and read our scripture for the day. Um, Joseph was engaged to be married to this young teenage virgin girl named Mary that we talked about last week. Now, in this time in history, engagements were a bit different. Today, you know, if you're engaged and things go kind of weird, then you can just break off the engagement, right? But back in this time, an engagement was actually a binding agreement. Now, you would be engaged for a year's period of time, and in that time, if you wanted to break off the engagement, you actually had to file for divorce. So it's a little bit different. So the only way to get out of an engagement during this time would be to get divorced or die. And and the engagement was so serious that if one of the two people died, the other one would be considered a widow or a widower. So that's the picture here. So with that in mind, would you stand with us, uh, stand with me, and we'll pick up the story in uh, Matthew 1, verse 18. This is uh, Matthew's version of how the birth of Jesus came to be. So let me read this for you. Be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jump down to verse 24, it says, when Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took home Mary as his wife. Father God, thank you for speaking to us this morning. God, I just pray that um, you would reveal your truth to us this morning. Just do a download, your heart um, into ours. And we just, we're so thankful that you are here with us. You're Emmanuel. You're present here this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. Okay. By the way, last, last, uh, last night was our staff Christmas party. It's a long tradition. We've been doing this uh, as long as I can remember, and we, we always take a, a picture over here, a, a staff picture. We had a lot of fun. We did the gift exchange last night. I just had to show off um, what I came home with last night. I brought it because it's, it's very practical. Um, I got the, uh-oh, emergency underpants last night, <laughs> the gift exchange. So, you know, just in case. <laughs> So, I'm keeping it right here. <laughs> uh, I, I, I pulled it out last night just to see because it says one size fits most. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so, let's try to turn our minds again. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's try to get our minds onto to Joseph and Mary. So, you have to admit that that had to be a really odd conversation. You know, when Mary sits down, with her fiance, and says, you know, we talked about this last week, you know, Joey, honey bunches, let's sit down, right, let's sit down first, are you sitting down, (laughs) let's sit down, I've got something to tell you, I'm pregnant, but don't, don't worry about it, it's by the Holy Spirit, right, that's the conversation she's having, and so, you know, it's the good news is that I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and of course, you know, if I'm Joseph, I'm kind of like, Um, and how long did it take you to come up with this story, right? You know, don't give me that Holy Spirit stuff. I saw the way that guy was looking at you at the well, you know, that's where your mind's going. And so you, you have to admit from a human perspective, he's got two options. If you factor out the possibility that God actually did that, if you factor that out, he's got two options. The girl is crazy or she's a liar, right? That's where you're at. And, and so, I, I, don't, I don't want to marry someone who's crazy or a liar. And, and so, she says, I'm pregnant and the Holy Ghost did it. So, you have to acknowledge at some point, Joseph is going to be asking himself, okay, if I stay with this girl, what is everybody going to think? What is everybody going to say? What are they going to think about us? What are they going to think about me? Right? And so because, you know, her, from her perspective, she's already marked. To be pregnant and out of wedlock was a sin that was punishable by death. Um, that meant stoning. Now for him, from his perspective, he's, he's marked for the rest of his life. If he's the guy that got her pregnant or she got pregnant from somebody else, then from that point on, he's going to find it hard to find a job in this culture. You know, if, if he divorces her, then at least at, at, at that point, no one farther is going to want him to bless her that his daughter going uh, being with him Um, you know he might find it difficult for for people to do business with him you know if he goes he's talking you know he's taking his dog in for an oil change and the people say I don't know if I want to do business with your kind of people you know that's that's what that's what he's looking at so because everybody's gonna know what's going on in this guy's life so we don't know for sure the state of his mind but what we do know from the text is that he's bailing on the relationship because, you know, he's done. Either he doesn't believe her, he doesn't want to take the heat. But he thinks about it, and he's like, okay, it's best to move on. Because this, here's what it says in verse 19. We read it. This is how it unfolds. He says, but because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, it did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to what? He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he's, he's jumping out. Now, a lot of um, commentaries... They will say that divorcing her quietly was actually very noble and a very, it was an honoring thing to do. And I tend to agree from his perspective. What he's thinking is, I'm not going to expose her to public shame. You know, he's, I'm not going to say to everybody, she cheated on me, stone her to death is what he's doing here. hes He actually probably loves her, cares about her. And and his response, he thinks maybe she can go and have this baby somewhere and and hopefully start over and I'll start over and we'll move on down the road and, and try to pick it up right? Pick up the pieces. So he's about to learn one of the most important life lessons for those who want to, of us that want to honor God. Are you ready for it? It's, if you're taking notes, this is big. He's going to learn that pleasing God often means disappointing people. (laughs) He's going to learn the powerful truth that if you want to obey God, there will be many times when other people will not agree. And they will not understand. So pleasing God often means disappointing people. And here's how the story goes down. Verse 20 and 21. But after Joseph had considered this, in other words, he's thinking this through. Here's the, here's the pros, here's the cons. And the cons for him started to outweigh the pros. So I'm going to break up with her and I'm going to move on down the road. That's where he's at. And So after he considered all of this, An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, fear not. That's what it says in King James Version. Fear not. In our version this morning, our translation says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will do what? Let all of us say it together says because Jesus will save his people from their sins, right? You will give him the name Jesus because it will save people from their sins. So at this moment, when he awakes from the dreams, you know, you you have to imagine, you have to imagine the pendulum. swing. we talked about this with Mary last week, right? There's this, this swing of emotions that's happening in his mind because first of all, my Lord, you know, for centuries and centuries, I've heard that the Son of God is going to come. And now you're coming and you're asking me to be a part of the story. So he's like, wow, me? You know, I get to be a part of that. What are the greatest days in history? And you're asking me to be a part of it. And then it swings to all at the same time, the motions swing the other way. And he's thinking, what are people going to say? This is a little bit different than I pictured it. God, <laughs> what are people, what is this going to cost me? You know, on one hand, I get to possibly be a part of this, this change, this shift in the whole world, this big thing that God is doing. On the other hand, I have no idea how difficult this will be. And, and, and so everybody else around me is going to say, run for your life. Don't marry this girl. It'll ruin you. It'll wreck you. Can't you just hear that conversation going on in his head? And, and you know, so on the other hand you know, should I please God? Should I do what God is asking? Should I do what people want or should I do what God wants, right? That pendulum swing that's happening. And so I can, I can almost promise you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus at a different point and you're at some point in your life, you're going to be confronted with opportunities to obey God or do something easier to win the approval of people. And he's going he's gonna to learn these very important principles. So if you're taking notes, why does this matter so much? The first thing, and this is gigantic in our lives, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. So let me, let me say it again and maybe let that sink in. Becoming obsessed... With what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. And so the reality is, for most of us, is we drift towards wanting to please people. What do you think about me? What do you think about me? Do you like me? Do I fit in? Do I measure up? Am I cool enough? Do you like what I'm doing? Do you approve of what I'm doing? Can I be a part of your club? Right? Can we be friends? Do you think I'm doing the right thing? And then suddenly, you know, without even meaning to, we surrender our lives to the opinions of people rather to God. at the expense of actually living to please God. And, you know, so how do we overcome that? Because, you know, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Here's the good news, and this is powerful. This is, this is, this is the good news this morning. The flip side of this is true as well. Write this down. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Amen? Yeah. So, you know, living for an audience of one saying, God, I want to please you with all that I do. I want to please you. That's the quickest and the best, perhaps the only way to go past living for people's approval, the approval of others. And so here's, here's the bottom line. When you think about it, you can't please everybody. Right? If you try to please people, you're going to fail at some point. So if you wear your hair... One way, one day, then somebody says, you know, you you ask them, how how do you like this? Yeah, I like it. You're cool now. And then another group will say, well, no, that's ugly. Right? Am I right? And so, you know, I like this kind of music. Do I fit in? Yes, you do. Oh, man, I cannot stand it. Right? You've got (laughs) the, if I believe this politically, do I get your approval? Right? Yes, no. What if I stand in the middle? Then everybody will hate you, Right? (laughs) There's, you just, you can't win, whatever the case would be, because if you try to please one group, you displease the other. And the bottom line is, no matter how hard you try, you cannot please everyone. But the good news is, you can please God. You can have a life where God looks at you and, and he says, man, you did good. You did the right thing. You were obedient. You said yes. Well done. But how do we overcome living for what everybody else thinks? We surrender ourselves to living for an audience of one. Because becoming obsessed with what God thinks about us is the quickest way to become set free from what people think. And Joseph is going to have to get to a place in his life where he says, you know what? I value the opinion of God above the opinion of people. Now, how does this play out in our everyday lives? I want to give you two big thoughts to take with you and, and just apply from this this morning. How do we live for God instead of for people? Uh, the first one, it's important, but um, not everybody's going to like it. <laughs> if I had a chance, I think I would rewrite this. You ever have that happen, Pastor Brent? You're, you're, you're like, it's in, the, it's in the bulletin, it's on the screen, so you've got to play with it, you've got to go with it, but um, I, th- I think I was coming a little bit hard uh, on this, uh, this is this is what I wrote down. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. So number one, write this down. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you might not be ready to be used by God. Now that's that's a little harsh. I I, I think I think I was trying to like really hit a hit a punch <laughs> when I wrote that down. But here I think here's here's how I try to the, communicate this a little bit better, because I I don't want to ever. Um, dissuade anybody from being used by God. Um, so I would say this, if you, if you want to be used by, by God, you might be, get yourself ready for some criticism. And, you know, th- so think about this. Think about all the different ways that Joseph and Mary would be criticized. I mean, they would publicly, you know, they would be publicly disgraced again and again in this story. Now, we don't, we don't think about this. It's not in the, the biblical script. But people would be whispering, hey, do you know that's really not Joseph's baby? Right? That conversation was going on. They're pointing fingers. They're, they're doing hush, hush. Hey, they say it was the Holy Ghost. Right? That, that's the conversation that's going on. They say, they said it, but, but I saw a donkey parked out at her house at 2.30 a.m.? <laughs> And you know they weren't doing a Bible study. I mean, that's the conversation that's going on. And, and so I don't know how or when, but there's going to be a time when you're reading God's word and God's word tells you something to do that's culturally unpopular. And if you obey, there's a, probably a good chance that you're going to be criticized. Or maybe you hear Holy Spirit leading you to do something. You may be breaking free from an unhealthy party lifestyle. And you say, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm not going to get drunk anymore. I'm not going to use drugs anymore. And all of your party friends are like, what is going on with you? You're a religious nut, right? That's their, that's their criticism. What is wrong with you? And, you know, one might say, you know what? No matter what I did in the past, from now on, I'm going to honor God with my sexual purity. And, you know, people are like, you're what? Do you know what year we live in? You know, this is the conversation you're going to hear. Are you, what, that's craziness. And they will criticize you, and they're going to make fun of you. Or maybe you're in a place where you actually have a high-paying job and you go to a lower-paying job because you felt like that was what God was calling you to do. And, and and your life, you feel like God is telling you your life will be served better and, and going this route. Now, people that are around you that that don't have a relationship with God, they're looking at, at that and they're going, why would you do that? I mean, life's all about money, right? Why would you do that? God told you to do that. Are you serious? Right? Or maybe you're, you're going to live beneath your means and, you, and, you, and you, you might have a profitable job, but you live on less so that you can give sacrificially and generously and radically. I know some people like this. And they, they, they make a difference with, with what God's given them. And, and, and they're like, you know, people around them are like, why don't you just, you know, go vacation, go travel the world, go do the stuff that you could do because you can afford it. I don't understand. And there's a criticism there. They're going to mock and they're going to make fun. And, and, and if you're not ready to be criticized for the obedience, then what happens? And so one of my, one of my professors, as I was writing this, I was thinking about him. Christ of the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas, he taught a leadership class, and he used to say, the more you do, the more pain you'll experience. Real inspirational guy. <laughs> the, the more you do, the more pain you'll experience. But I kind of get it. You know, if you want to make a difference, you're, you will endure more, more discomfort than those who don't, right? If you want to live a life where nobody criticizes you, let me tell you what to do. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Do nothing. Stand for nothing. Then you won't have to deal with it. It's, criticism comes, though, and, and, and I, guess, I guess I'm saying maybe choose the bullets. You know, I would rather do something significant for the kingdom of God and have people go at me than do nothing at all. Amen. In my personal life, we have seven kids, and you wouldn't believe this, the times that we've heard. Seven kids? Do you know what causes that? Yes, I do. And I don't want to give it up, right? <laughs> but the, the way I see it is that children are a blessing. You can criticize all you want. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, my life's going to be full of blessing. You know, there, there were a few. There were a few years ago that we decided to homeschool our kids. And as a youth pastor over the last 18 years, um, you know, I, I ran across a lot of families that made that decision as well. Now, when I was homeschooling, I, I tried never to say, you know, you know, you should do this, you know. And 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 in fact, you know, for some of you, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> looking at you, but I'm just kidding. But um, but when you, we would get. How many of you? I don't. I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand, but. For those of you that have, 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 done, um, have gone the homeschool route, you've heard some criticism, right? Oh, you know, your kids are gonna be awkward. They're gonna be awkward socially. They're, they're not gonna fit in, and they're gonna learn to make their, their own butter. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Well, bring on the butter. <laughs> criticism. And when we took a step of faith to, you know, follow God's leading eight years ago to pursue uh, Deanna's education, a lot of people were asking, but what, what does this make sense? You know, what are you going to do, Sean? And a lot of those people were friends and generally concerned. Um, a lot of you were, were those people. But there was some criticism, too. What are you doing? Why would you do this? Why would you, you know, leave this place where you've been for almost a decade? Uh, and, and, you know, why would you go? Pastor Brent, you know, asked me. The question is, as one of my closest friends, not a critic, and I can remember, he said, what are you going to do? And I I remember telling him two things. I I, want to stay at home with my newborn son. Zion was um, not even a month old yet, and I want to continue doing next-gen ministry somehow. So God answered both of those prayers two months later. We moved outside of the district lines where where, we're in this district of four square churches of of five states, five five and a half states. (laughs) And we we moved outside of the lines and um, I got a call from our gateway district supervisor. Some of you have met him. He was here for the installation service, Sam Rockwell. He calls me up and he says, "Um, I know this is out of the box, but would you like to serve our district? And would you like to be our next gen rep? So I got to stay at home with my son um, and I got to continue doing next-gen ministry just two months later, and, and I was about ready to go work wherever, but God made a way when it didn't seem like there was a way. Amen. I, I bet you some of you, several of you have the Version Bible app, and, and you wouldn't think you know, that would be that controversial to give away the Bible. But I was listening to Craig Groeschel this week. He, they, they, they give uh, his church, uh, Life Church, is a, is a big resource to, to many other churches, and this is part of their ministry. They, they developed the Bible app and, you know, he's, he was telling the story this week about you wouldn't believe how many times we heard the Bible's not an app. You know, it's, it's a book, so don't mess with the Bible. You know, it's a book. And he had all this criticism. I, I can't remember now how many years the, the app has been out now, but it has broken records 300 million times now the Bible app has been downloaded and given to people for free. And so, listen, if you're going to do something significant... <laughs> It will likely be met with criticism and resistance. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is what? It's the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. But becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think. Now, thought number two. And this is going to get some of you free. (laughs) Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. John Lofberg came up to me after the service last week. You know, we had that big story with the, you know, the, the couple getting in the van. And, you know, that's a big thing. And it feels like, well, I couldn't do that. But a, a lot of times, it's just the ordinary acts of obedience that are life-changing. And, and we don't even see it until, until uh, a few a few blocks down the road when, when, the, when the, the story has had time to process. But extraordinary acts of God often start with a very simple act of obedience, just saying yes. Now, think about this. You know, the Savior of the world was born because two teenagers said yes when God asked him to step into the story, right? Two teenagers said yes, a simple act of obedience. So what's crazy is, if you try to get in the mind of Mary and Joseph, what did the angels say? They said, you're going to have a boy, he's going to be named Jesus, he's going to save people. That's it. They did not have the details mapped out for them. And you're asking me to jump into this? You know, they're thinking, you know, they're, 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 what's going on in their head? You know, how are we going to raise the son of God? <laughs> what does that look like? Does he come with Emmanuel? You know, regular parents don't get that. What about Jesus? <laughs> you know, how, how do you discipline Jesus? Somebody answer me that one. Do you spank Jesus. <laughs> Or does he spank us? That's the question I have. I don't know. <laughs> yes, Jesus, I'll go in time out now. <laughs> There's no details about how they're going to do this. I mean, it's crazy. And, we, and I think that there are times when we're like, show me the details. And God will be like, you can't handle the details. <laughs> Some of the movie buffs are good. <laughs> if, he's saying, if I showed you everything, if I showed you every detail, you'd be too scared to walk out the door. Now, they didn't know the details, and this is what we have to embrace. We don't have to understand completely to obey completely. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. And we don't have to see the whole picture to put the first puzzle piece in its place, right? Trust God and then the rest comes into place. But because, you know, going back to last week, outcome is whose responsibility? God's. Obedience is ours. Outcome is God's responsibility, obedience is ours. Extraordinary acts of God often start with just an ordinary act of obedience. Just saying yes. This is so encouraging to me. You you have no idea what you might set into motion with one simple obedient act towards God. You have no idea what you might set into motion when you simply obey what God puts on your heart. Years ago, there was this guy, and I, I don't even remember his name. He was a guest speaker at our church, um, uh, at an event that our church was hosting. We were living in Brookings at the time, um, which, which means, you know, I would have been somewhere in second, third, or fourth grade, so probably the reason I don't remember it all that well. <laughs> um, I was chatting with Dad about uh, this this week to see what we could remember together, but there was, there was a very, s- some parts of the story that I can remember vividly. Because this guy, you know, this guy was praying for people. There was miracles happening. Um, people were getting healed. Uh, he was very prophetic. And you know how if you've been around a, a prophet who just hears from God and, you, and you, know the um, you know the people that he's prophesying over, like, wow, that was like right exactly for them for this time, right? That was all happening. And I was young and I was watching this. And then he called me out. You ever have a prophet call you out? <laughs> it's like he had my phone number. He called me out and 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 so he told me when i was that age and i don't remember what grade in elementary but he said you're going to be a pastor and and i just remember you know thinking uh, even back then you know just the kind of the, the 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 weight of that but also the honor you know the pendulum swing you know and i and i held on to that word and when i got older I really looked up to my youth pastor and she helped ignite a fire in me for God. And I ended up feeling led to go to the same Bible college that she was trained in. Um, and God moved on my heart to go into youth ministry. And I went into full-time ministry um, almost straight out of Bible college. And, and, and then God used another man in my life, John Collins, to speak prophetically over me about being a leader of, of leaders. And that was pretty crazy because especially if you knew me when I was younger, man, I, I was the poster child for Introvert, <laughs> quiet, shy, um, did not speak unless you spoke to me uh, first. And so, you know, I'm, the question is, are you kidding me, God? <laughs> You've heard the story with Pastor Brent, you know, was interviewing me, Pastor Brent and Tana, they did the personality test and, and I was so off the charts, melancholy, phlegmatic. Pastor Brent said, are you sure you like people? <laughs> and so long story short, that led to us uh, transitioning to destiny for almost a decade, serving with uh, Pastors Brent and Tana here as their youth pastors, and and then taking our next steps, an eight-year journey of con- continuing education and serving our district as the Gateway um, District uh, Foursquare Next Gen uh, rep. And so now, after eight years of, of being gone and learning so much, you know, from serving our district pastors and building all those relationships, uh, here we are again, full circle. And so I can, I can see God's hand in preparing us for this all the way along and I was thinking about this this is this guy that I don't even know his name but he was just obedient to share what God gave him and talk to a I mean who would do this like a second third fourth grade boy and say you have a pastoral calling on your life and just being obedient to to step out and say that and you know it, it he Set, help set something in motion that he probably has no idea of even to this day and, and you know but it's a simple act of obedience that set off a chain reaction some of you will remember um, I've told this story several times but this is the home state of where the story originates so I think some of you will get this better than some of the other places I've shared it how many of you remember um, Captain Eleven born and raised in South Dakota yeah yeah alright So, um, Captain Eleven was this popular after-school children's program. For 41 years, it was broadcast on Channel 11. That's why he was Captain Eleven. And um, this show ran from 1955 to 1996. It was the longest continuously running children's television program in the United States. And um, the station's weatherman, his name was Dave Diedrich, he donned a yellow-trimmed blue pilot uniform, and he's the, the daily, you know, host of the show. So, anybody remembering now? Is it bringing back the, okay. So, the show, uh, for me, anyways, at my age, when I was watching it, was all about the cartoons, right? But, <laughs> but, but he was, he would interact with the kids, you know, if you had birthdays, you'd get to go up and punch the switches and turn on the lights. And, and at the end of the show, you guys remember the end of the show, one hand in the air and wave it, two hands, then two hands, both feet. I don't know how they did it. And then he would say freeze. So there's that whole thing. I mean, it's very, for me, it was very much a part of my childhood. And so when I was in high school, Dave Diederke, he was still doing his thing. And let's see, I graduated in 94. Yeah, so he, he retired a year after I graduated from high school so he came to our school for an assembly on the HIV AIDS virus which was a big conversation at the time and and it was a big deal TV crews were there and um, they're all over, the, all over the place, TF Riggs, um, gym that's where it was happening and so there's a lot of different presentations going on the school is asking students about different ways to creatively show support to those that are, are suffering with the HIV um, virus and so I felt a pretty strong prompting I was you know, probably a sophomore in high school, somewhere in there, to write a song. And and others, there, were, we, we, there was all sorts of creative things going on, quilts, paintings, drawings, um, st- creative uh, stories, and most of it was on display for this big event, and it was all being televised, and the, the halls were full with all this, all this stuff kind of showing support. Um, and so the big question is, why was Dave coming to speak? Why was he there, right? Well, it turns out that his daughter um, contracted the deadly virus doing some sort of, uh, blood transfusion thing that went wrong. And so I don't remember the details, but it was incredibly unexpected and and sad. And so he was there to, to talk about it. And so, um, on the day of the event, they had asked me to sing my song and I was pretty nervous. Um, I was I was very nervous. I, I remember the chairs were I was, I was set up with a row of chairs over here, that had another row of chairs over there. I remember this day because I was shaking in my boots. So I get up and I sing the song, and I'm playing the song. And these these are the words of the chorus. I want to help you, but would you please help me? Because I'm dying inside to find the life outside of this terrible disease. It's not so far away. It's inside of me. And so it was written from the perspective of somebody that had contracted the virus and so as I'm singing and I'm playing these songs, and this, this is one of those moments where my fingers are shaking and I'm my, my voice is probably a little bit shaky This is a, this is a like a big deal for me the childhood like icon standing on the other stage and what I remember most about that morning with all those people and, and him over there is that when I was about halfway through the song my keyboard was angled a little bit I saw him stand up and walk off the stage and I thought oh man I, I just made Dave Diedrich upset <laughs> he got up and walked off the stage during the middle of my song he had already you know did his little speech and he was gone but I, I remember feeling sick to my stomach when I sat back down because he looked visibly you know like <laughs> he looked sick to his stomach and so I'm thinking um, I thought I did something I you know I was what 14 15 16 years old somewhere in there and so after we were done I remember walking through the um, kind of the the mess of crowds of people that were there and there was all this traffic it was kind of like shoulder to shoulder like in a busy very busy lots of people there and you could see him kind of walking through the crowd and because he's wearing his uniform he was kind of hard to miss (laughs) And um, he was coming right at me and I was like, oh no, what's, what's gonna happen? I, I still, I was like about ready to, to lose my food. I was about ready to lose my, everything was gonna come up. And he came up to me and I remember he had tears in his eyes and, and immediately I had tears in my eyes when he started speaking to me. And he said, thank you for that song. He said, I don't know what prompted you to write that song, but that song is for me and for my daughter. And I'm, he said, do you have a recording of it? Because, and I, I wasn't at the place where I could record. I didn't even know how to do that at that place. I didn't know where to go. I didn't have a recording of it, but the, the television uh, broadcast and they gave it to him. And he said, thank you for that song. He said, it ministered more to me than anything. And I don't know if he used the word ministered, but he, you know, he used, it, it, it affected me more than anything else. He said, "I'm want to hold on to that you know so it's <laughs> I look at that and I think to myself, you know I was I was just I was a songwriting machine at that time it wasn't a big deal for me to write a song, but you know it starts with an ordinary act of obedience. God said to me, write a song, Sean and so I wrote a song and and then all of a sudden you know <laughs> it was a big deal to me at that time but the, the music moved Dave Diedrich's heart, who in turn, when he said those words to me, it was like, I am never going to stop writing songs. <laughs> That's what my heart did as a teenage boy. I am never going to stop writing and playing songs. So it, it, it inspired me. And it was just, you know, saying yes. And so this week, when you go and invite someone to, you know, to the Christmas services, you have no idea how life might be impacted just because you have a prompting and God says, you know, invite them. You don't know what God's gonna do. You have no idea how generations might be impacted by a simple act of obedience. God puts something on your heart. So when you feel prompted to serve somewhere in the church, you have no idea who you might impact, whose life might be different, whose life might be changed, how their life might come back and bless you. When you do something for somebody else and suddenly maybe the high point of your week is when you're an invisible and you're just serving God. Like Jesus did and you find love and joy and fulfillment in that. Some of you, you might start to tithe as a simple act of obedience to God. And one day you look back and you say, I cannot believe what God did. I thought I was giving my money away but God just seems to bless me. And it's, it's in my life, it's in my marriage, it's in, it's in our relationship, it's in our family, it's even in our finances, and I'm giving money away. It's funny what obeying God will do, right? A simple act of obedience. And, and, and some of you, you might, you might foster, or you might adopt, because your pastor won't stop talking about it. <laughs> he keeps on talking about it, and won't let it drop, and you don't know the details, and you're like me. about a year ago at this time this is this is when we were making that drive this is a year is a year ago yeah a year ago from this day almost when we were driving over to social service and you said I do not feel like I can do this I've got too much stuff going on how are we gonna do this it's 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 gonna cost Where's, where's where are we gonna get the time I don't understand this God you don't have to understand completely to obey completely or to obey immediately. And you take the next step, and years later, you know, you're thinking, wow, I cannot believe how this has changed my life. Or probably what might surprise you even more for those of you. That have, have done this and been a part of a foster care adoption story, you, you're thinking this, I can't believe how much those kids have ended up changing my life. So, you might be a single guy, and you see a single girl in the service today, and God's going to prompt you to get off your single rear end. <laughs> To sell your gaming system and get out of your mom's basement. <laughs> Iron a shirt and brush her teeth and ask her out. <laughs> and one day you're gonna have a son and name him Sean. <laughs> because God used me to help you get some action into your single life. Glory to God. <laughs> you have no idea what a single act of obedience can set into motion. When you obey what God puts on your heart, extraordinary acts of God often start with an ordinary act of obedience. And so the angel speaks to Joseph and he says, fear not, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You'll give birth to a son, you'll call him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Now he's got a choice to make. Does he do what's easy or does he do what's right, what God has asked him to do, what God has asked him to be faithful to? This is your, this is the story I have for you, Joseph. You know, and God, God's promise to us is that his story, when we step into it, is always going to be better. It's a, it's a life that is full, abundant, right? That's the kind of life that I want. But sometimes it takes a step of faith to walk in it. (laughs) Does he do what people want him to do or does he do what God would want him to do? Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the wrong way to go about it, right? It's the quickest way to forget what God's best is for you. But becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to let go of what people think. Brent, you can come on up. In one little verse, we see his decision. And what's so encouraging to me about this one little verse is that God is going to prompt many of you to do something. That's just who he is. He calls us us into acts of obedience. When you have a relationship with God, when you tune your ears towards him, Our God is not silent. He calls us to to do things, right? Uh, He calls us to to move, to to act, to be his hands and feet. And so God's going to prompt many of you to do something. And I, I hope you pray that way. I hope you, when you spend time with him, you ask him, okay, God, what do you have for me today? He's going to prompt you through his word, through Holy Spirit, speaking directly to you. And, you know, one sentence could summarize your response. Here was Joseph's response. Verse 24. It said, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. It's kind of just one little simple phrase that we just kind of read over a lot of times. But that was a big decision. He did what God asked him to do. And through that simple act of obedience, the greatest act of God in human history was born, right? And so you, you have no idea what you set into motion with a single act of obedience. So when God speaks to you, you have to wrestle with it. Sometimes you have to wrestle with it, right? Because you're like, I don't think so. <laughs> We've been on this trajectory now for this is three weeks. That mountain is too high. God said, I'll give you hind feet to go to the high places. I'll give you cloven hooves to grab hold and reach of things that you don't think you can. What's easy what's right, what people thinks, what God thinks. And there could be one sentence that is a destiny-altering sentence. You did what the Lord prompted you to do. It doesn't have to you know, be this, this thing that seems so huge or so big, but you just did that simple act of obedience. I promise you, you have no idea what that single act of obedience how life-changing it could be for you and for the people around you. Let's stand. I don't know about you, but It's easy for me to walk around in the fear of man sometimes. What people think. What do people think? What do people think? It's so easy to live my life based on what people think. Let's hear the voice of God this morning speaking to us directly from his word. He says, fear not. He has a purpose for you. He has a, he has a calling for you. He has, a, he has a plan for you that is better than you can think of or imagine. Even during this holiday season, God, Lord, I just pray that your people would walk in a bold obedience Lord, to, to what you've called us to do. And every day we'd wake up in the morning and say, "What do you have for me, God? What do you have for me in this day?" Would you speak? Lord, and I pray that you'd give us the boldness to respond and just say yes. Just say yes. Maybe you're here this morning and you're and you're thinking, "Well, I My story is so much, so much different than maybe a lot of other people in this room and you're, you're playing the comparison game and you're looking around and you say, I don't even know if I belong here. And, and let me tell you something, there is a reason that you are here this morning. It's not a mistake. The peace, the joy um, that we sing about in this season it's because of a person and he brought you here today. There is no mistake. If you're here and and you've never um, made the decision to ask Jesus into your heart, I just really believe that this is your day. So with nobody looking around, we don't want to embarrass anybody. This is a a personal decision, and there's a time where there comes a a public profession through baptism, that's what that's about, but uh, we just want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. So with nobody looking around, um, if that's you, would you just raise your hand today and say, yes, I, I want to invite Jesus into my story. Is there anybody here this morning? Thank you. All right. Well, Father God, we just we're thankful for your presence. We're thankful that you are here with us. We're thankful that you're calling us to step out into obedience. In your mighty name we pray, amen. And amen.